This is NRL Boom Rookies. Hello everyone and welcome to episode of Boom Rookies presented by ESPN. I am Matt Bungard and with me today, Nick Canton. Hello. Hey everybody. Uh, It is a miserable day in Sydney, but we are feeling upbeat. We're still feeling chipper because there's still plenty to talk about despite Rugby League in 2023 being but a blip in the rearview mirror at this point, Nicholas. But a blip. Difficult to say quickly. Indeed. Simi Renrandra trying the chip and chase. Oh, this will be interesting. Oh, yes, it will, yes. Semi Rundrundra. Oh, he's absolutely buried it. Rundrundra. I know you've all missed the news drop, so here it is once again in all its glory. And we've got to start with the Jerome Lewis saga dragging on. This will get to a point where we as a group agree to just stop talking about this until we get a concrete situation. <laughs> well, situation, yeah, this but... is this is the last time we'll bring it up until he signs on the line that is dotted. Yep. But the you reason we do bring word. it up is it's looking more and more like he is going to make that move to the Tigers. There's been reports out there that he's told people close to him that he's going to go to the Tigers. If mm. the money that is being reported in the deal from the Tigers is accurate, it would be a very, very difficult thing for him to... It's a lot of money. So one point I, one yeah. of a season or something. So. Yeah, I haven't, again, I haven't spoken to anyone in the know about this. This is just off the gut, but it... it, it I'm sure it, Lee Hadjibatellis will just announce it to, to us at some point, unprompted. So we probably have, won't have to wait too long. Do you think there'll be a crack in the case? <laughs> or, do you, or do you think a dame with gams is going to trick him into it? Oh, God. As long as he finds the Jade Falcon before the next full moon, we'll be fine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, I, I know we speak in hyperbole a lot, Nick, and I don't want to be found guilty of that in this case, but this will either be the greatest signing in West Tigers history or it will rank <laughs> as one of the greatest disasters <laughs> in the his. I don't honestly feel like there's any in between. This is either the transformative signing that turns the West Tigers from the basket case that they've been in the last few years to a competent and, and, and successful rugby league franchise because of all the intangible qualities that you've waxed lyrically about Luai in the past, not to mention his on-field quality as well. He's got the attitude. He's got the leadership. He's got everything you want if you're a rebuilding team who has some nice players in other areas of the field, but just doesn't have that leader and especially doesn't have that leader in terms of having a half or five eight. But like everything positive that you say about Jerome Luai, there are negatives that people use as a stick to beat him with as well. They say that he's only ever been the second fiddle. They say he's a product of the Penrith system. They say that when things aren't going his way, he goes off the boil. They say that Penrith only won that grand final because he went off the field. They say that when he's losing, his attitude is is not the best. And he's really never lost ever in his life. So that's why I guess that's why he takes it so hard. Get ready, son. Yeah, exactly, right? So like we kind of saw Appy Coruscant go from being on that juggernaut to going to West and he was able to... Uh, leave his ego at the door and and maintain that extremely high level of play that we'd expected and that Tigers fans had hoped from him. And if Luai can do the same, this is, this is going to be an absolutely sensational signing. I'm leaning towards that he will do that, but I think there is the possibility that because it's the Tigers and just because of everything that's gone wrong, both on and off the field for them over the last couple of years, there is obviously a chance that this goes tits up. But in saying that, you can't just not swing for the fences because it might not work. You've got to try and hit a home run sometimes. I, I agree with you that the stakes are very, very high on this one. Um, and I think for the most part, 
over the last sort of 18 months, the big signings that the Tigers have made have worked out. Coruscant's worked out. Clemmer's worked out. I think Bateman was was better last year than people are giving him credit. I'm probably it out towards the end of the year. Papali'i got a little bit better, but that's the only one that they sort of whiffed on. Um, and I, I, I liked, I, I think we talked about it a few weeks ago and I sort of mentioned why I liked this for the Tigers. And I, I, I think you're right. I think they need someone who has a little bit of that confidence and has a little bit of that swagger about them. But what I'm worried about would be them signing him and then playing him at halfback and then asking him to be like a controlling organizational mm. type half. That's a thing that he can kind of do or that he, he's, he, or he can assist an organizing half with. But if you're going to pay as much money as they're paying, I, I don't want to put him into a role that he's not suited for. I would hope if I, if I was a Tigers fan and if they do get Luai, I would hope they still play him at five, eight. He can be the dominant playmaker or whatever, but I would still want him to play at five, eight. I would want him playing a lot of second receiver. And then that halfback, if that's Latu Fainu or Jaden Sullivan or Aiden Caesar or whoever, but, if you get if you're gonna pay this much for Jerome Luai, I want him to do the things that he's good at. Mm. I want him to play to his ultimate strengths because that's what you're paying for, right? You know, I'm 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 probably a little bit higher on on Luai than most. Um I do like this for the Tigers, but if it is getting up to like the one point two million dollars a year that some places are reporting, that seems a little bit that seems too much for almost any any halfback except for like the elite of the elite. So like oh. a, a Nathan Cleary could, mm. could pull that sort of money. It's a, it's a lot of cash. It's yeah. a lot of cash and it's a big, it's a big, big bet. You know, I guess my counter to that would be that you say 1.2 would be a fair price for Nathan Cleary. I think if the Tigers were wanted to sign Nathan Cleary, they'd have to pay him $2 million a season or something like that. I think they've got to pay big overs to get these guys and it might not work out, but if the alternative is not having a guy like Jerome Luai and just trundling along with replacement level halves for another year, then fuck it, go for it. I say, give it. Well, a I, I I saw um I can't remember who, but a Tigers fan on Twitter pointed out that last season they had nearly one point three million dollars wrapped up in Luke Brooks and Adam Dewey. Yeah, you know, so if you have the money to play with, you may as well play with it. And I actually don't mind the idea of having the the three halves for the next season. So um, Finu, Sullivan and Caesar mm. and have them fight it out. Yeah. Have them fight it out. You know, like steel forges steel or whatever the, whatever the iron sharpens iron. Baby. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. Like, like, you know, put, put the dogs out there, make them run and see who's going to make it, you know, see who's going to rise through that level of competition and yeah. get the spot, you know, I, cause I like all three of those signings for them. I like them in getting Caesar, a veteran presence. I like them getting Sullivan. Who's a younger guy with a whole lot of upside who I think will do really, really well with a change. And I, and the wraps on final were all really, really big as well, you know? So the Tigers keep making moves that I agree with, but mm. then this is, this is the big swing for the fences. Yep. The and- big, big swing. You know, if if one of those three guys that you just mentioned could be a top ten halfback, to pair him with Luai, and then you got Coruscant and Zarin Bula, that's that's a pretty good spine. That's yeah, a spine that you can that's make something. Play with. That's something. That's something to work with, definitely. Yeah. So we'll see what happens, but it is looking more and more likely that Jerome Luai will be a West Tiger. How exciting! How exciting! What exciting times! Uh, Matt Moylan won't be a West Tiger, nor will he be in the NRL because he is off to the Lee Leopards. You wrote a really good piece on the ABC about. 
Matt Moylan the other day about the, the the weight of expectation, Campo. And it's fair to say, as you as you opined in that piece, but we can talk about it a little bit more now. It's fair to say that he might be the poster boy for unfair levels of hype and expectation over probably the last like ten to fifteen years of the NRL. The 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 next Darren Lockyer stuff with Matt Moylan was absolutely ridiculous at the time, and it's only become more ridiculous as mm. the years have. It's like getting picked for Origin ahead of James Tedesco and all this stuff. Like, it was, well, it was that crazy. was it. That was a genuine debate for about mm. eighteen months. Like Moylan or Tedesco, I was always on. Oh, so was I. Tedesco, I think. Yeah, I think. Well, I think in a large part, the early days of this show were based around maybe not Matt Moylan's slander, but definitely Matt Moylan's skepticism. We'll say. And then I ironically bought a bobblehead of him when Penrith were having a clearance sale when he left the club. It's still on my shelf behind me. It cost ten dollars. <laughs> Best ten dollars I'll ever spend. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it's interesting that Moylan, a player who had so much sort of hype around him, how that's just sort of slowly eroded over the years, you know, to the point where he wasn't playing first grade in the last couple of weeks of the season. I'm pretty sure he got dropped for for tri- for tri- for Tricky Trindle, you know, like it just he and it, it, it's funny how his career at the Sharks, he had that one really good year in 2018, and then he had a good year in 2022. But apart from that, there's not a whole lot doing. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, a, it's a bit strange to see a player who was so critically acclaimed kind of almost fade out of footy like that. And well, some of that, some of that is things Moylan could control, but some of it isn't, you know, I, I always think about how the first senior game that he played at five, eight was for New South Wales. Insane. It's like that, 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 like that, that's crazy. You know, asking a guy to do that sort of thing. That is the sort of stuff that, that wrecks careers. Yeah. You know, like. So I, 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 Matt Moylan to me, he's, he's never been a player I've been a huge fan of, to be perfectly honest with you. Never really loved his, loved his style, but I do think that he got dealt a pretty raw, a pretty bad hand by the rugby league discourse, you know? Um, We'll always have that semi-final in 2014. We will. And if you want to hear more about that, you can check that out on our Patreon. We did a greatest games episode on it and it was a lot of fun. He was so good in that game too. He was, so, and he was great. He was great that he was great that whole season. He'll brain the Super League, I reckon. Unless he has to tackle. He doesn't like tackling. He not doesn't like tackling, it. and he's not that fond of running. Mm. Um, and the halves can, that go can over throw him. a long ball though. Yeah, that we can throw a good short ball. The halves that kill Super League are generally ones who can run a little bit. So he'll probably he'll pro- he'll probably do all right. He's going. He's going to wear the leopard print jerseys, bro. They're honest to God, the worst jersey. It's, they're not even like, I would buy this because it's ironically ugly. They are legitimately. Hideous. Well, mate, they adopted the leopard as their mascot this year and had their best season in like 70 years. Oh, you can't argue they with won, that. They won, they, won, they won the Challenge Cup for the first time in, I think, three centuries. Mm. And then they made, I think, the second or third week of the finals. So Am I, they have a colorful mate, owner, right? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> his, name's, <laughs> his, name's, his name's Derek Beaumont and he's... Yeah, there's some stories. About okay. Colorful <laughs> um, and we touched on this a couple of weeks ago because when it was first on every rugby league website back in, I think, August, that oh, the Bulldogs are about to announce the signing of CY Takiyaho. And then there was just radio silence between August and this week where it's now come out that um, one, one brave podcaster stood mm. up and said, What's going on here? Why yeah. hasn't this been confirmed? What's doing? Yeah. So that's why that's why you won the Walkley last night, yeah. wasn't it? Thank you. And, and you know what? Now we know what's doing. He's not yeah. coming. Yeah, the deal fell through. He failed his medical at the club. And 
even though I think I've railed at length this year about how badly the Bulldogs need forwards, mm. I actually think this could this is a bit of a blessing in disguise. I, agree. I watched I watched Takeaho play in the Super League finals and he really, really did not look like the player who left. Um, I think his body is really showing the wear and tear of a lot of hard footy in the middle of the field. Yeah. And I was like my, like, you know, who knows with a big preseason and back home and all that sort of stuff. But my prediction for Takeaho at the Bulldogs would have been that it was going to be a bit of a dud signing. Yep. I agree. They, they just didn't have too much left. So while the Bulldogs still need some forwards, now they've got a chunk of cash that they can use to go out and get some. It know? is funny. So, I saw a headline, I think yesterday, it was like the club that's leading the race to sign Connor Tracy. I didn't even need to click on it. I knew. I, what are they doing? <laughs> I don't know. No, I like Connor Tracy. I'm a big, I'm a big, but like Connor you've Tracy already guy. signed 43 utilities this offseason. Like, is, is, isn't Blake Tough almost, sorry, Blake Tough almost the exact same sort of player? Yeah, I think Connor Tracy. Yeah. Isn't Jamin, isn't Jamin Salmon almost the exact same sort of player again? Yes. Like what's what's what are we what what what's doing? Drew Hutch can play some center as well. Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, again, like it's like the old Simpsons joke about how cows don't look like cows on film, so they paint horses. Yeah. And if they need horses, they just take fullbacks tape don't look like together. fullbacks in blue and white. You're gonna tape a bunch of utilities together. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know, man. Sign a sure. prop for God's but, sake. Yeah, I mean the well the, the Adam Finnell Blake thing is gonna ramp up again soon, I reckon. And I, I would I would imagine that both the sharks and the dogs would and should be at the front of that queue to sign him. So 100%. Um, on an unrelated note, I've got something out in my car. I've got some, I've got two confiscated competition points from more than a decade ago. Would you like to go look at them? Oh, yeah. Let's go check them out. Oh, shit. All right, now that we're at the car, I realized that before we can get to those points from 2009, we've actually got to go back. Oh, really? we got to, we got to go 88? Yeah, get in. That's right. It's another Boom Rewind. And shout out to friend of the show and Patreon, Joel Wrigley, for his suggestion. A terrific suggestion from Joel. When, when, he, when he rattled off all the all the talking points that we won't read out now because I don't want to spoil it when we get there. When he rattled them off, I was like, holy shit, he, he's nailed this. There is so much to talk about from the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs 2009 season. So before we talk the dogs, let's talk about ourselves. Who were you in 2009? I got my first job in sports in 2009. What was it? A uh, statistician at Fox Sports. And so, I, I mean, we can talk more about it, uh, about that game later, but one of the worst moments of my life is having to sit there and do the live stats for like the Newcastle Jets versus Adelaide United whilst the Para Bulldogs prelim was on one desk away from me. That's, that is a tough beat. <laughs> and what, how many stats are there in soccer anyway? There's goals. And yeah. that's it. Passes. You, so a lot of passing, mate. A lot of passing, mate. So that was my first my first foray into sports media was doing statistics for the A-League. I started doing uh, rugby league statistics, I think, the following season in, in 2010 and then moved into doing videos and, and writing and stuff like that after that. So, yeah, it wouldn't be where I am without that job. So as much as I scoff and we you know, joke about the A-League a little bit and, and, and how it's not what it once was. I, I wouldn't be where I am now with, without that job. And, and I'm very thankful to everyone there that gave me a chance back in the day. And um, you were still in high school. 
I was, yeah. I was in year 11 in 2009. Um, and it was probably, it was probably the time when playing footy was as serious as it ever could be for me. Like I was not a good player or anything like that, but I went to a, I went to a school that had a lot of good footballers Mm. there and around this time, a lot of people I knew were playing Harold Matz or SG ball. And I was playing two games, two games of footy a week um, for school as well. And it was that sort of thing where we had, we had four senior rugby league teams and everyone trained together for the most part. And it was sort of like first and second grade were the real guns. And then thirds and fourths were just sort of the, the guys that wanted a game, but because we had so many good players in the fourth grade team that I was, that I was playing in, mm. we had a guy who'd played Harold Matz the year before who was coming back from a shoulder injury. You know what I mean? So it was just a lot of really good footy players around. And it was the, it was sort of like, I knew a lot about all the young footy players all across the country. Like I knew, about, I knew about all the Penrith guys out at Blacktown. I knew about this guy who Manly had brought down from the country or whatever. Like I knew about, there was a, there was a rumor that went around that remember Chase Blair, there was a rumor that the Roosters were flying Chase Blair down down from Queensland three times a week for training and, and playing. And I had a mate who played Harold Matz with him the year before, and he was like, yeah, Chase Blair's going to captain Australia. Because as big as he was like physically when he made the NRL, that's how big he was when he was about 16. Mm, that so he's just help. like absolutely stampeding over blokes, you know? So mm. even, even though like playing footy properly was never really going to be a realistic thing for me. I was not, I, I loved it and I, tried yeah. really hard but i wasn't that good but like this i was around i was around it a lot you know yeah. what i mean and like you, you you train with the top squad so you train with blokes who go on to play a lot of first grade like you know jack DeBellin and jack stockwell and alex mckinnon and james tedesco and matt grote and ed murphy and yeah so it was exciting it was an exciting time for me just sort of being a part of it and feeling like all this stuff's about to happen for all these guys that i know Next time there's a NRL grid with South Sudan, I'm picking Ed Murphy. It's a great Eddie one. Murphy, but Eddie Murphy mm. Raw, the Mung and Die Grasshopper himself. But um, yeah, so the, the the Bulldogs in 2009 were a very interesting team. So they had come, I mean, they it was a little bit out of the blue what happened for them in, in 2009 because in 2008, Nick, they they get the wooden spoon. Steve Folks, their premiership winning coach, is let go, and, and they're looking like a bit of a club in crisis. Very much so. It's one of the worst years in Canterbury's history. Five wins total. Five wins. They win two of their last 19 matches. It's not great. It's not great. They weren't a great side, but then Sonny Bill has the walkout in, mm. uh, I think it's in June, and I think they only win one more game the rest of the season. Like, that really shatters the club Yeah, in a, in a, in a very, very brutal way. And that's one of the it's funny now to see Sonny Bill's image be completely rehabilitated because for years after that walkout, geez, people couldn't stand him. I mean, I remember people could not stand him. You're, yeah, like you are, I bet it's very vivid for both of us. Like, especially not just when it happened. Like, I've got Bulldogs mates who curse him to this day, but do you remember when he came back for the Roosters the first yeah. time they played the Bulldogs? Yeah, like, yeah, I was I was, at, I was at that game and it was yeah. like by that time. Everyone else had sort of moved on a little bit and everyone had started to Bulldogs buy into the, oh, yeah, Sonny, Sonny Billy's so great. He's this, he's that. But Bulldogs fans never, ever, ever forgot. And you know what? I I, I, I bag the Bulldogs a fair bit, but in this case, I'll back him. Yeah. Stand yeah. tall. Never yeah, forget. It's, it's, never funny, it's funny to see Sonny sort of rehabilitate his image to the point where now he's like one of probably the most admired sportsmen of the last mm. 10 years or whatever. But... Yeah, walking out on the dogs was pretty ordinary. <laughs> Particularly, do you remember there was a 
I think it was the year before and they had him and Mason on the footy show together. It was just after Mason had gone to the Roosters hmm. and Sonny Bill was saying things like, yeah, I don't respect him as much because he walked in, walked out on the club. That's not as well, has <laughs> yeah, it? It's not what you want, eh? Yeah, it's not good at all. So the, the, as, as you just mentioned, the 20, the 20, the 2008 Bulldogs finished the season with, like as, as you mentioned, one. so they lose their last eight consecutive games and concede 40, 30, 56, 36, 52, 26, 36, and 52 in those games. So they are is that as bad? low. It's not good. So they are as low as low. And just before their final win, by the way, they concede 34 in a loss to South, 24 in a loss to the Riz, and 58 in a loss to Canberra. Yeah. So, so look, tackling, tackling was not high on their priorities. This is a team list. that is, and for such a proud club, and for a club that throughout the 2000s was, apart from when they lost all their points for cheating, a club that was always right near the top. This was a competition heavyweight year in, year out. And this was well and truly their lowest ebb. Well, you mentioned that Steve Fox, their premiership coach, he stood down at the end of the season. Rennie Matua um, got sacked in December of 2008 for, I think it was turning up to training drunk or something like that, mm. or not come into training for a week or something like that. But anyway, he got the punt. So there was only two blokes left from that 04 premiership, or three blokes left. There was Andrew Ryan, Hazamel Masri, and Luke Patton. And that was kind of the last vestiges of the, of the great Bulldogs teams of the past. But to their credit, they totally revamped their squad mm. with a massive, massive recruitment drive. So here's the, here's the guys they signed for 2009, Greg Eastwood, Michael Ennis, Ben Hannant, Josh Morris, Brett Kamali, David Stagg, Bryson Goodwin, Michael Hodgson, Yulene Gordon. So you've got like what that's some really six, important contributors, six dead set stars. And then three, well, very, most, very most of the guys you rattled players. off played every game that season, more or less. Yeah. Played every yeah. game, and so this... they they completely they completely revamped the team. With That's a, a really impressive offseason, by the way. Extremely impressive. Really good. They, this year is the first year that they got um, that Peter Mulholland was mm. there as rec- as the recruitment officer, and he's one of the great sort of rugby league minds of of the last thirty odd years. Sadly, he's no longer with us, but he was a a great great recruitment man for Canterbury and then for the Raiders. And he did a similar job when he first got to the Raiders. His first recruitment class was Blake Austin, Josh Hodgson, Sia Soliola, three or four other guys that went on to become huge parts of the club, you know? So he got in there and really, really changed things up. Mm. Importantly as well, in the back end of 2008, even though they were absolutely shit, two guys debuted for him, Jamal Idris and Ben Barber. And they're going to play a massive, massive role in the story going forward. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's a who's who of, what about this bloke's in this squad as well? There's guys like Chris Armit, guys like Yaleen, Buddy Gordon. Jared Hickey. Oh, some Charlie Liano. Oh, that's oh, good stuff. Boy, Lee Tamari. Oh, this is this is great. And it's and it's it's awesome as well, because this is this is Buddy Gordon. This is the rebirth of Buddy Gordon. He goes from being a, an underachieving center at South, who never really lived up to the hype that he had coming through the lower grades, to being a pretty serviceable bench forward. And you gotta love, you gotta love yeah. that. The re- and the he's still playing. Buddy he's, and he's still, still going. He's still going today. What you gotta more, love that. What, what more could you ask for? No one else to, in this team still you, going. No, to give you a very clear idea of this time and this place, I queued up some 09 Bulldogs highlights the other day to get ready for this. Mm. And the music used in the video was "Let the Bodies Hit the Floor." Yeah. Remember the name by Fort Minor, and then of "Amazing" course. by Kanye West, and then it finished up with "Remember the Name" a second time. And it's so funny. Like it's it's dead set. If if that's 240 pixels, we're lucky. That video you sent me, <laughs> it's so good. It's like how it's shocking how quick how far video technology is coming. Like 10 years, because some guys made this 
hype reel and put it on YouTube in like the 2010 off season after the 2009 season finishes. And it, it, it it's barely playing. It looks like a, it looks like one of those flip books where someone has drawn the same picture almost on every page and they're flicking through it to make an animation. It's such bad quality, but with Fort minor blaring in the background, it just hit, it hit, it hit 10% different. luck, oh. 20% skill, 15% <laughs> concentrated power of will, 5% pleasure, 50% mm. pain and 100% reason to remember the name. Indeed. One of the greats. Yeah. So, and then the coach of this, ragged oh. band of dogs is a guy named kevin Moore. a good and rugby league man look he is a good rugby league man and we have a soft spot for good rugby league men and this guy it's got he's got all the all the credentials you could ask for so mm. so kevin Moore, his playing career a little bit middling played 37 games over five seasons for canterbury a cousin of the the hughes brothers a brother-in-law of steve folks and chris anderson mm. a son of bulldogs patriarch peter Moore. This is the family club. It's in, incredible in, in that the be, in the best sense possible. It's incredible that good rugby league man, uh, good rugby league man Kevin Moore has not one but two different brother-in-laws who coach the Bulldogs to a premiership. It's the family club, baby. Family club ain't and, nothing but a family thing. And that's the kind of stuff that we we kind of take the piss out of them a little bit with today because it it doesn't work like it used to. But for the, the basically from the eighties until the twenty tens, it worked. It was a good system. It's like. Not every club is the same. And I think for some clubs, it is important to have a coach who understands the identity of not just the the, the team, but the, the, the place. Because mm. I think Canterbury is a team that does so well when they're connected to their local community, you know? Yeah. And that's a very sort of ethereal kind of thing. It's probably hard to put your hands on, but you know it when you see it. And if you know how to use it, it can be very powerful. And that's and Kevin Moore. I think he he got that. Like, we laugh about it, but he knew the club. And yeah. that was important. Like, that was important. They had uh, to, they had to, they had to sort of get back to that a little bit because they sort of lost it a little bit in a way. I would like people to be very clear. We are sometimes snarky and cynical about things, but when we say good rugby league man, we are being 1000%. That's right. That's right. We this, mean it. We mean game, it with every sport, ounce of our stuff. This sport is built on good rugby league men. If you don't have good rugby league men, you don't have rugby league. That's right. So the dog season starts. It's not the highest of expectations. Like people are interested to see how this. This this new dog machine sort of goes, and they play open the season against Manly in Long round away. one, and Hazemul Masri breaks the the all time point scoring record. Mm. So the season's already off to a little bit of a little bit of a thing. What is this? Sort of, what this, do you well, this is this? the this is the defending premiers, by the way, who've just won yeah. a grand final forty nil, and the Bulldogs come out there and beat the brakes off. They whoop them, yeah. They I remember them my main memory from this game is who the fuck is this Jamalogist bloke? He's incredible. Yeah, that's it. So. <laughs> Big, big, big jammer goes over for a double, but like all the, all the new guys do really mm. well. Like Kamali sets up a couple of tries at one point, Mick Ennis traps a kick from Jamie line. I think it is through relentless kick pressure, then picks it up and throws it to Josh Morris. He goes the length of the field. Idris plows over for the two tries. Hasn't breaks the record. All the Bulldogs are doing all the, all the stuff you would ever want them to do, you know? Yeah. Cause we were kind of spoiled here because we had what three different point scoring record guys in like the space of 10 years yeah halligan broke it in 2000 then joey breaks halligan's record in 06 i think but then hasm gets it in 09 and i think with hasm it was sort of like everybody assumed that he was going to get there eventually but to me that doesn't denigrate the the achievement at all if anything to me it enhances it a little bit because he only took over as kicker in 2001. That's the, so that's, he's broken and Daryl Halligan at the same time. Yeah. But he's broken, he's broken the point scoring record in eight years. Like that's insane. 
Mm. And some of the titles he was putting up, like in 2004, he becomes the first bloke to score 300 points in a season. And it's a record that still stands. I think he got like 348 or something like that. And in terms of like automatic kickers, you know, where it's a, it's an absolute shock if they miss, I think has him still number one in that category for me. Cause some of the stuff he was doing back then, like in 2003, he kicked 35 goals in a row. I remember that there was all this talk about whether he was going to, whether he was going to break the record or not. And then yeah. I think there was some English guy in the Super League that ended up breaking it like a yeah, year he or two did. later. He but did. But yeah, whatever. like Hazem was absolutely automatic, 100%. And he was, I always thought he was a bit underrated as a player because of his goal kicking. He was a lot more than just a kicker. But um, yeah, man, just deadly from the tee every and single time. The the thing you touched on in the, in the preamble about the Bulldogs are more than most teams, a club that sort of needs to ingratiate themselves with the community. I'm obviously born and raised in Bankstown. I've got a lot of Lebanese Australian friends that live out there. And having a Lebanese Australian being the point scorer, being the, the star man that's scoring hat-tricks every week or scoring 20 points every week, having that guy on a pedestal for them was just so important for the community and for the club. Yeah, I, I think... So there'd been a couple of Lebanese players in the league before, but I think he's the first where being Lebanese was such a was was such a part of the Hazem El Mazar experience, if you know what I mean. Like yeah. born in born in Lebanon, like very much of the community, extremely proud of his of his Lebanese heritage and not shy of like sharing it with people, whatever, mm. you know. And I, I think you're right. I think that's a that's a really big deal for 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 Canterbury fans to see like someone from that community in this sport. Cause I'm sure they would a lot of them would have followed the sport for a long time, but they probably wouldn't have seen a player that was that was like them. So I agree with you. I think it's a massive thing. Yeah. He, um, so he, he, he was born in Lebanon and then moved to Australia when he was, I think 10 or 11 and didn't, didn't play rugby league. So he went to high school. So it's, it, the whole story is pretty incredible. You could make a movie out of it. But, Bro, it's, uh, the Can- it's the Canterbury dream. Yeah. Legitimately. Um, but yeah, yeah. Came into the side was not the goal kicker, as you said, for a couple of years, and then comes in and, and he ends up finishing his career this year. This is his final season. He ends up finishing it in a pretty big spot in front of, I think the biggest non-grand final we'll crowd ever. We'll, but, get uh, we'll get there later. Round two is very interesting because at the time it was like, well, this is great. This is like all these guys that you mentioned in the pre, pre in, in the preamble, Eastwood, Kamali, uh, David Stagg will score, Ben Roberts and Jamali just get tries as well. They, they get the late win over the Panthers with that Ben Roberts try, but it's a bit of drama, Nick. Big drama. So in you the dying stages of the men match, on the field. You can't Michael Ennis, Michael Ennis is down injured. Hmm. They send Andrew Ryan out there as a replacement. But Ennis is still in the field. 14 men on the field. And when Benny Roberts cruises over to score. Drums. And this this isn't like because obviously Ennis is the odd man out, but Andrew Ryan's the guy that comes on and he's very clearly in the in the play when it when they score. So they 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 were kind of screwed on this one. Like they really didn't have much of a defense. As much as it's a shame. But uh this was a big deal at the time. It was a massive deal. So they get stripped of the points for the win. It's all mm. big. It's all very controversial. Way, way down the line, it ends up costing them. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, it's two points in round two. What could yeah, it what's the difference? It's like, well, it ends up costing them the, the minor premiership. But my favorite tidbit that I sort of found in the research wasn't so much, you know, them getting stripped and how they fired up or whatever. Penrith appealed to have the two points awarded to them, <laughs> which... A great, a great bit of opportunism. Like you can't blame him for trying. I don't mind that, to be honest. Like I've, I mean, I've, I'm a big proponent of giving Parramatta the 2009 premiership and Manly the 2007. No, premiership. I don't think you can do it. I guess, but it I, that's would, just how would, I. Would, I understand the. I, it's probably di- it's probably different if it's two competition points. But like, imagine if they retrospectively awarded the 09 premiership to Parramatta. Mm. 
six months after the game had happened. Yeah, like, I, I get it. Be, but it'd like, be such an empty feeling. I always, I, I agree, but I also feel like to have a to have a winner, you got to have a loser. So if you're gonna make someone the loser by default, you got to make the other team the winner. But well, anyway, it doesn't you, matter. You don't always have like you know. Well, yeah, you, can, you, you can have a draw, and you can both be losers. That's true. Um, but yeah, in this case, they were both losers because nobody got any points. Yeah. So after so, this, after this, they sort of eh, trick along for a couple of weeks. They're going pretty good. But there's a game that's that's very, very vivid in my mind. They play Parramatta mm. in round six on a Sunday Arvo at ANZ, and they're just absolutely white hot, like absolute lightning. They're playing a, a really, really great brand, brand of footy. I, when you look at this Canterbury team, there's probably it's probably hard to pick out who the best player is because I don't know if there's like an out-and-out 100% stud franchise player, but then there's a whole lot of like seven out of tens, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the the way that they were sort of able to attack through their spine with Ennis and Roberts and Kamali, it all just sort of came through in this game. And I, I, I was really happy to see Kamali do so well, because he was like a long time favorite one. I loved Brett Kamali. And yeah. there's a great, tr- there's a great try in this game where it, someone power put a kick in about, on the attack and Noddy traps it, picks it up and goes 90 meters and Rabs is in his pomp at this time. And he's screaming like, can you do it? Noddy, you're going to, are you going to make it old fella? Mm. And I remember, I remember at the time thinking, well, Brett Kamali is as old as time itself. Like, because that's pro- like you talk he, about your, probably he probably fed the scrums when Dalliant Dalliant Messenger was you, running around. You talk about your formative rugby league memories, right? Like we we talked about the ninety nine grand final. Well, I mean it won't have come out now, but we talked about the ninety nine grand final the podcast that's to be released later. And you talked about how that's one of your first grand final memories is is that game and who's the star of that game? Brett Kamali. Yeah, yeah, and that's was the nineties. That feels like so long before this yeah. moment. Well, I, I say he's old as dirt. He's like two years older than I am. <laughs> so that was it. That was a sobering moment, but I loved Noddy because of that, those early storm teams. And yeah, there was a 99 season highlights tape that my cousins had that I dead set nearly wore out. I watched it so much. So any of the guys who were on that video a lot, they just through osmosis, I became a massive fan of them. And Noddy was one of them. And he was probably one of the last ones to keep running around. Mm. And he, he occupies a bit of a strange place in rugby league history. I, I don't know if there's a current guy who's like him, who was a top halfback for a long time, but also cycled through a lot of clubs. You know? I think I think the best comp is maybe James Maloney. Brett Kamali is our Stuart McGill. I don't know about that. He I don't is. know about that. Because, no, well, because there was a couple of times where he beat, he beat Joey to the punch. Like in 2000, he's the origin halfback. I mean, Not is Joey. that that's to but, a, that, but did, that's did, to get did, them both in the team though? Like Joey plays. Hooker. No, no, it was it was Noddy was getting the start, man. Mm. Like McGilla, like, McGilla, McGilla. To, to basically spend your entire career behind the goat, despite being probably one of the best five to ten halfbacks we've seen, is I mean, I think it's a very similar situation. Well, no, but, because he didn't he didn't stay behind him. That's a measure of how good Noddy really was. <laughs> I do think it's funny though. So he did he did come through at Newcastle, and he. Bounced around a little bit trying to get a first grade start, but he played in the halves in reserve grade at Newcastle with his brother Craig Kamali. Right. Great. So imagine, imagine if you're like, yeah, up in Newcastle they just have bands of brothers in the halves. This mm. is what they do. We have the Johns. We have Matt. There's Andrew a rule Johnson, that at junior Brendan level Craig you have Kamali. to play with your brother in the halves. That's the rule. <laughs> Otherwise, you're not allowed. But yeah, this um, was a this was a great sort of like uh, almost a renaissance for Noddy. He'd been at Cronulla for a, a long time, I think six or seven years. And he'd done really well there. He'd played for the Blues and played for Australia. And 
um, took the Sharks to some pretty high highs, but think like time just sort of ran out for him. Yeah. And this is very much like his last, his last go. Well, he, he, gets but the, he, has, he has a great year for Canterbury. He gets the call up in the, in the, in, in the game three, in the dead rubber in 09. And then he keeps his spot for game one in 2010, which ends up being his final gear in the NRL. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, so 09 is his first origin since the 05 intercept. He played. Oh no, he played 07. Yeah. Sorry. That's my bad. Hmm. But yeah. I never understood why Matt Bowen ran around to put the ball down under the post. Instinct, but, baby. I guess. But yeah. Anyway, Breckham Wall, a great player. And yeah, they, they, they kind of potter along for a couple more weeks until we get to their first bye and then a top of the table clash against the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Big deal. Big deal, this one. I'm pretty sure it was one versus two. Everyone's pumped up. Win Jubilee on a Friday night. Like, let's get loud, baby. Let's get Let's get crazy. So the Dragons race out to a 14-nil lead, the most dangerous lead in rugby league. Canterbury sort of work their way back. You know, it's really tough. It's tight. It's really good footy. With a minute to go, Luke Patton surges into the clear off a kick return for the first time in probably 10 years. <laughs> finds Jamal Idris in support and the big fella sort of stomps over. Scores. It's amazing. What a win for Canterbury. But wait, there's an obstruction. And it's funny because this would be, this was, this was like a, this dominated the news cycle for like a week. If this happened today, people, it would take one look at, by the bunker and they'd be like, yep, no try. <laughs> no, I, 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 I don't think it's an obstruction. I wow. watched it. I watched it. I watched it again this week. I think they got it wrong you, because like, so it's, you it's, think it's, it's too late to pick at the NRL for this. It's Jamie, it's Jamie Soward who, who is quote unquote obstructed by, by Greg Eastwood. Hmm. But watching the replay, Soward sort of, Soward's playing for it. And he he approaches Eastwood in a way to try and milk the penalty. If he wanted to get around Eastwood, he absolutely could have. And he didn't even try. Mm. So Soward sells it and, and they buy into it. And I don't know why this, like, I don't know why this game is so imprinted in my memory. But you're right. It dominated the the discourse for weeks afterwards. Bulldogs fans hated Soward for mm. years afterwards. Yeah, they never like, forgot. <clears throat> maybe it's because when they disallow the try, of these really vivid images of Idris just like throwing his head back with the dreads and screaming, and Soward doing like Soward going off as well. Like he was never yeah. shy about turning it up. But uh, I also a, a, contra, a controversial clash. I also have very vivid memories of this game, but for yes, entirely yes, different reasons. So this game kicked off at 7.35 p.m. on Friday. As, as I mentioned at the start of the show, I started working at, at Fox in July of this year. So this was my last couple of months working at McDonald's on Canterbury Road in Reesby. And I remember going to work after watching this game because I did the I did I used to do a bunch of overnight shifts. So 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. And I remember coming in that night, serving a few people. The place was packed with dogs fans coming back from... Cogra, et cetera, et cetera. And they absolutely trashed the shit out of the restaurant. And <laughs> so I what did they, never... what did, let's break it down. What did they do? Oh, just like shit was everywhere. Chair, like patios were, t- tables were flipped. Chairs were knocked over. Not, not, not the tables that were bolted down, thankfully. Just like they pulled all the toilet paper and shit off the walls in the, in the bathroom. Like there was just food all over the floors. It was an absolute war zone, which poor old me at 
two in the morning had to then go and clean up with a couple of other guys that were, were stitched up and working the night shift. But yeah, a you lot of my have, hatred for the Bulldogs. You should have joined in. You should have joined in, <laughs> wrecked the place, and then say, fuck is, I'm going to work at Fox Sports. I should have done that. And had I known at the time that that, that was on my horizon, perhaps I would have done that. But I didn't oh, well, know I was at the gonna time. Say, like, what, this, this would have been one of your last legitimately the last, the last yeah. yeah 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 like i there's no crossover at all like i got the i got the new job and stopped working here like that day so there's no crossover at all so this is dead set for the dying embers of my six years at mcdonald's but the flame of my distaste for bulldogs fans continues burns, to burn it burns ever brighter <laughs> oh so good we don't have that enough of that anymore i want i want i want fans to wreck things when they, when they feel they've been aggrieved. Yeah, as the guy had to clean like, it up, I disagree. No, now, but... now it's like, now they just send, they send people death threats on the internet. And I'm yeah, like, what are you, what are you doing, guys? Like someone, th- like someone throw a pie or something, you know, have some fun with it. I agree with that. I, I do agree with that. It's better to destroy property than to send people horrible messages on social media. One of those <laughs> is definitely much worse than the other. <laughs> but yeah, so they lose this game, 20 to 18. And as we mentioned, with that point selection, it ends up being a massive game. Because they 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 lose the minor premiership by virtue of the two points that they missed out on, they bounce back with a win over the Storm, and then they go on a little bit of a tear, including a round fourteen win over the Brisbane Broncos. Fucking oath! I love this game so much. So the reason I love this game is very very simple. Mm. It's the best night of Ben Roberts' career. I would dare say it's the best night of his entire life. So they go up to Suncorp, they beat the Broncos. 44-22. It's a bit of a smash up. Brisbane are a good side too. So this is a, a real feather in their cap. But Ben Roberts goes absolutely ballistic. Five try assists, six line break assists, a line break and a try. And like I always really liked Ben Roberts because he was a group six guy. So his junior clubs were Mount Annan and Norellan. So they're both near Camden. And Ben was always very generous with his time coming back to not just those clubs, but every club in the group. And he was always around and Always, always looking to looking to give back. So I always had a real soft spot for him. But then as he evolved as a, as a player and he turned into like one of those guys, it's clear that he's got all the skills, but he just can't put it all together for whatever reason. I love those guys. Like even 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 though they're even though they're flawed and imperfect, I just, there's just something about them that really really appeals to me. It's all it's almost like you've been given every gift, but you don't know how to use it. That's just endlessly compelling to me. And the re- and because of that, when they do have these rare games where they put it all together, I just can't get enough of it. And Ben Roberts in this one, it was like, it was like everyone else was playing in slow motion. So like his first try assist is a short ball to Josh Morris. So the Brisbane start numbering up a little bit better. So Benny goes over the top for a long pass on the other side of the field for another try. So they spread out a little bit more. And then he does one of those sort of curling inside out grubbers that he was so, so good at. And I've never really seen anyone do them again. And then that sets up another try. And then the try he scores himself, he fucking stands up Darren Lockyer Deluxe, puts a big fend in his face, steps off his right foot to get past him, steps the Carmichael Hunt off his left foot and scores. And it's like, it's 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 like when you're watching the NBA and like Dion Waiters goes for 45 points because he's just jacking up shots and they're all just mm. going in. You're like, sometimes, sometimes the shots just go in. If you keep shooting, eventually you'll get there. And Benny Roberts, by God, had the hottest of hands. If you watch this game and you'd never watched rugby league before, you would have assumed this guy was the best player in the sport. You oh my assumed, god! Like, like one of the best individual performances I've ever seen. From did rugby league give him a ten? No, they didn't, and they should have. Oh, they should have. 
They didn't seriously not. Like the Campesi one is funny to wind you up about, but I'm now legitimately annoyed. They didn't give Ben Roberts a 10 for this. They didn't give Ben Roberts a 10 for this. Outrageous. And I know that because if they did, I would be telling people about it all the you time. Would. The thing, is, the thing is, so Benny, Benny Roberts, he plays 5'8 all this year for, for Canterbury. This is his best year in first grade by a long way. And like he has this night and it's incredible, but he has a really good season altogether. Like he 20 try assists, 11 line breaks, 20 line break assists, and 74 tackle busts. He has a really, really good year. Really, really all came together for him. And then it sort of culminates in this night where he just, I can't stress this enough, pieced up Darren Lockyer. Crazy. It's crazy. crazy. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, um, you know, some, or not a scrub, but some guy you've never heard of putting 30 on MJ somehow, mm. you know, well, it's, it's, it's just it, the best. It's just these guys that are guys like Blake Austin or Owen Craig or Ben Rogers, like these dudes that were so talented, but for whatever reason, just couldn't be consistently formers in the NRL. But then one night, maybe two nights a year, they, they do this. Just the best, just absolutely hectic shit. Yeah, Ben Roberts, what a player! I mean, yeah, and, yeah. and the the thing was, so after after this season, it kind of goes to shit for Roberts a bit. Like he yeah. goes, he sticks with Canterbury, things go sour, goes to Parramatta, it's not that good. He has a year in Melbourne where he's okay, but I always kept holding on to this. I was like, well, what if it happens again? Mm. <laughs> what if one night oh nine Benny just shows up again? It's, it's just, funny, just right? Because him. if you can do it once, the logic is that you could do it again. So like people see this guy do it once, and that's enough to always believe. If you see a mate, guy do this once, you you you're you're in for life. You're mate, when he's when he signed when he signed with Castleford, I was like, mate, he's going to go over there and do it. I'm I'm telling you, how, it's do, gonna how be, did he go? It's going to be it's going to be oh nine every week in in Cass. Was it? No, it wasn't quite like that. But he was he was good for him. Was he, he good. Helped, okay. Yeah, he he helped take him to a grand final. Had a had a couple of really good years there. Mm. Yeah. yeah, Benny Benny, if you're listening, call me. <laughs> the 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 regular season continues on. They continue winning and winning and winning. But there is a, there is a game that sticks out, and it ends up being kind of a flashpoint for uh, for the other team that's important in this narrative, which is when they go down twenty seven to eight to the Parramatta Eels. Before we get there, I just want to take you. We'll go back a little little bit before. So there's a round seventeen game against Manly and a round eighteen game against the Warriors, and those both stick in my mind because those two weeks I did work experience at Canterbury. Oh well, yeah. let's talk about that. Yeah. So the aforementioned um, Peter Mole Holland, his Son played footy with, with one of my brothers. So I sort of got to know him a little bit and um, yeah, I think it was for a subject at school or something like that. And I rang him up and he sorted me out and I went into the Canterbury offices for two weeks and sort of just potted around the place and hanging out with some of the guys and all that. And this is where that sort of having like knowing a lot about lower grade and junior footy sort of really paid off for me. Cause I was hanging out with two lower grade players, like Chevy and BJ. I don't even know their real names. But their best mate was Jamal Idris because he was just a kid himself. So it was like, I was hanging, I was like the four of us for two weeks, just kicking around, hanging the out. The boys like, of summer. Yeah. yeah well, was, in the middle a, of winter, but the yeah, boys of summer. <laughs> yeah. It was a great time. It was a great time. It was my first sort of exposure to, to big time, to big time footy stuff. I remember my first day was a Monday and I go into the offices and I sort of say like, oh yeah, the work experience kid, what am I going to do? And they give me, the weekend, the, the the newspapers from the previous week, and they said we need you to cut out all the bulldogs articles, and this is just busy work for the work experience. It was like I was like, yeah, hundred percent, just glad to be on the team. So I'm doing it, and I'm doing it in like this conference room, and Greg Eastwood walks past, and he sort of pokes his head, in and he was like, what's going on, bro? And I was like, oh, you know, they just asked me to do this. 
And he was like, really? And I was like, yeah, he goes, should tell them to get fucked. Cut their own newspapers, bro. What a guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was great. All the, all the all the players were were really really great, really generous with their with with their time and all that. I got to go to training with them a few times, and when you're that age, like I was still just sixteen, but like seeing them run around, seeing like Hazem and Idris and Noddy and all them run around and like being so close to the actual pro footy setup was so so. Did you get so to, did cool. you get did you get to kick a goal? Yeah, I did. Fuck yeah. Yeah, it was very cool. I was, I think it was they'd just gone back and started training at Belmore again, like mm. only a few weeks before. So they only just sort of put all the gear up. And even that was cool, like kicking a goal on a on a field like that. Mm. Um, yeah, it was a, a real formative time in my life. I remember on the on the Tuesday, and I come in for me second day, and everyone's sort of buzzing around, and I was like, Well, what's what's going on? What's going on? And they said Josh Morris is about to be called into the origin side, so we're just getting everything ready for him. Mm. And then they announced it that night and it was like, oh my, I knew about this before it happened. This is so, like, this is so crazy This is, to be on the cutting edge, you know? It was very sort of like- Your first scoop. Well, not even that. Like, it was just, I was, I was just so sort of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed cool. and, awesome. and all of that, you know? So they lose the game, they lose to Manly, but then the following week they play the Warriors and they're without like 10 blokes because heaps, heaps of people are playing Origin. But Ben Barber plays. It's one of his very few games for the year and he has a blinder. He scores a try, he sets up a couple more. I'll um like, I'll quickly rattle off the the some of the guys in that team as you mentioned a, a ton of outs so the back lines Patton has them Daryl Millard and Matt Utai in the centres Tim Winatana on the wing a half-spring of Ben Roberts and Daniel Holdsworth Charlie Liano's one start for the year with Michael Sullivan at hooker Mick Hodgson the other prop Buddy Gordon Andrew Ryan David Stagg and then the bench Jared Hickey Brad Moore and Chris Armit and in jersey twenty two Ben Barber they just guided out you know yeah. what I mean they were just like the raw power of guys being dudes is going to mm. win this game. Yeah, so the it's funny man, Barber only plays a very small part mm. in this season, but I think he's the first player that I remember like absolutely carving up the 20s, putting up stupid, ridiculous numbers. And he's one of the first guys where I, I remember thinking, when's this gonna happen? When's he gonna debut? Like mm. like it was it's like one of the very first sort of hype trains for a young fella I can remember. Yeah, I remember vividly going to uh uh Terry Terry Lamb Reserve in Chester Hill to do it, do stats for a reserve grade game. And it was West Magpies against the Bulldogs. And it was John Skandalis on one team, Ben Barber on the other. So that's that cool. was cool. Yeah. That is cool. Um, that's also the field I got my hat trick on, which is kind of weird. But, uh, I, I got to tell you, I unironically love it when you bring up your hat trick. Yeah. I still can't believe that there was a guy, uh, one of our patrons. Was did you just look up at the, the did you just look up at the trophy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the trophy on his mantelpiece at home. And we're on the Zoom, and I just saw his eyes flick up there. I was like, he's checking it out. He's <laughs> <laughs> oh, terrific so stuff. Good. It's still a fine in my cricket team to this day to mention Bungard's hat trick. <laughs> oh, Very I good. You. I miss you, boys. Uh, but yeah, so they, they they go one and one in that little in, in the Campton era, one and one, respectively. <laughs> <laughs> and but it's this game against Parramatta that ends up kind of being like a a real flashpoint, not for their season, but for the Eels because the Eels had just had that win over the Storm. The week prior, which they were, on, they were still only in thirteenth place. But from there, they go twenty-seven eight over the mm. dogs, thirty nil, forty to eight, forty to four, twenty-six thirteen, forty-eight to six. They're in seven. They're locked into seventh, and they they play the dragons in the last week of the season. But they've already somehow completed that improbable run to the to the top eight, and they get done thirty-seven nil. And this is not about the Ono Neils, but um, we will have to talk about them later in that prelim. But they play each other here, and this is kind of the first moment where you think, hey. These, if these eels can get into the into the playoffs, they could cause the dogs or the dragons yeah. some trouble. 
I'm glad you used the word flashpoint because I think that's what this really is. This is this to me is the game where Parramatta's run goes from being a nice little stretch to wow, something could really happen here. You know, because as we said, Canterbury were a really good side. They're second on the ladder at this point. They get all their blokes back from origin and Para just have too much for them. Para are too dynamic. They're too athletic. The 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 offloads that they're doing are just they're playing at a pace that Canterbury can't sustain. And this is um Fui 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 Moimoy is unbelievable in this game. Really, really goes after and particularly goes after Ben Hannett who had sort of a, this year established himself as one of the best props in the competition. Um, Daniel Mortimer has a great game. Luke Bird has a great game. The best thing for, for Canterbury in this one is I remember Josh Morris runs down Jared Hayne and it's like, this is, this is incredible. It's like shooting Liberty balance. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you've outdrawn the fastest gun in the West. That's crazy. But it is, it is, a, it is a little bit of a, yeah, th- this is the hinge that on para for Paris season. It kind of turns on. Yeah. And then we run into them later in the story. And this is a game that tells us a lot about both sides. And it, this is like the dogs go in on a run from that aforementioned two weeks where you were there. They they, they win that game in round 18 with the Origin what I, what, 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 what can I say? And they don't, I don't lose. I inspired them. The only loss they have until round 26 is this Parramatta game. They win every other game, um, mm. most of them comfortably. Do you want to talk about 23-20 win over Canberra? I have no memory of that game. <laughs> Like, like, honestly, a three-point win is a great scoreline. Absolutely, I oh yeah, I I have no memory of it whatsoever. I remember the first game they played against Canberra this year, so they mm. beat Canberra thirty for twenty, thirty to twenty at Canberra Stadium early in the season. But I have no memory. I want to believe one. that absolutely the Raiders, nothing. I want to believe that the Raiders were because it was fifteen to six at halftime. I want to believe that the Raiders were up twenty nineteen with a minutes ago. I yeah, if, if it had been that way, I would remember it. <laughs> you would, you definitely hundred percent, hundred percent. So it's probably one of those ones where they 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 scored a couple of late tries to make it respectable, but yeah. whatever. Well, this, uh, this this stretch is sort of after Origin three, mm. which people will, might not remember it to when we say it, but when we say it's the game with all the fights, then everyone will remember. <laughs> so it's it's the one it's the one where Brett White and Justin Hodges oh. throw down, and it's awesome. It's 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 great so great good. stuff. And it's also Michael Ennis's origin debut. And this season is Ennis's sort of first He's an origin campaign player. as a starter. And it's one of the best years of his entire career. And it's like you say he's an origin player. Do you remember what a big deal the Ennis Farrah I was about to that's what I was about to bring there? up because I was firmly team Bob Farrah. And it drove me insane to hear people caping for a guy that in my opinion was just worse in every facet in Ennis just because he was niggly and a bit of a grub because that's what you need in origin. But in hindsight, maybe they were right and I was wrong. I don't know. Well, Ennis never won an origin series. I think he only ever won one well, origin yeah, game. The Blues didn't win a whole lot in that time period. Farrow won, won a series? He sure did. there in 14? He won one. No, I, 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 yeah, it, it was such, I loved the Farrow-Ennis battles because I thought that was such a contrast of styles. Mm. Farrow was such a skillful almost elegant type of player, you know, like so, so, so gifted in the way he could pass and with a great, great left foot kick and just a, a very, very sort of refined, skillful player. And then Ennis is just like a dog, you know what I mean? Like just an absolute pit bull of a footballer who would do anything and everything to win. And like, he had a lot of, he had a lot of skill about him as well. I don't, I don't want it to sound like he's just, you know, like a, like a dog on a leash or something like that. Like he was an enormously skillful footballer too. But I always thought that was such an interesting contrast. And I actually think the end result of the Farrah-Ennis battles is Farrah becoming a little bit more like Ennis 
And then that's what pushed Farah over the top as the superior player. Farah had to discover this toughness and this edge mm. that the battle with Ennis brought out of him. And that made Farah a better and more complete footballer. Ennis and then, is... and then yeah. when Farah finally does secure the, 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 the blues hooking spot, the game that sort of locks him in as the, as the guy for a long time, isn't a game where he sets up four or five tries in his man of the match. It's a game, game two, 2012, where he makes 60 tackles, where he puts on, he puts the dinner suit away and puts on the boiler suit, you know, and he, through that battle with Ennis, he found the 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 the, the absolute best of himself as a footballer and pushed him over the top. Because he, that's it. And because he was always a more naturally gifted player than Ennis, that took him to a place that Ennis could not go. Yeah. But in and, the end, to me, Farah decisively won that won I that agree. battle, you know. But geez, it was a it was a hell of a fight. I love those sorts of ones where you have two guys and every single time their teams play, mm. it's it's always it's always about them and what they're gonna do to each other, you know? Head to head, baby. Yeah, and and this is so interesting because he he, he does this like three or four times. Like he, he goes to Dragons in 05, gets the starting uh, role immediately, and they have a really good season. Like they're the, they're they're the Premiership favourites. They run. They have that amazing prelim with the Tigers in, in at the end of the year and lose. He goes to the Broncos. He's not the starter there, but he still plays a little bit. They win the comp, and then he goes to the he, he goes to the Dogs in 09 after they win the Wood Spoon in 08, and is a big reason why they transform into the team that they become in 09. He 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 later in his Bulls career goes to two grand finals. Since he's left, they've really been quite poor. They've they've never got close to the heights yeah. that they were in that era. And then, of course, he 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 finishes his career by securing the most rare and precious title of all, the, the drought-breaking grand final win with Cronulla. So this is like three or four different clubs he went to where he had a resounding effect on their on-field performance. And there are guys that just do that. Like you can't measure their impact in 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 gaudy stats or try assists or any of that stuff. But they're just they're just they're just guys that make it all work. They're guys that make the machine tick. It and he sounds, was always one of those guys. It sounds pejorative, but he he really was a winner mm. in the way that he played, you know? And it's such an interesting career because from memory, Brisbane, Wayne Bennett wanted to keep him at Brizzy and it just didn't work out for whatever reason. I can't remember why, but Bennett wanted to keep him. And it took him a while to find a home. He was even at Newcastle before he was at the Dragons. But then he mm. finds a home at Canterbury and it's it's really, really good. But then... When Des Hasler comes to the club and he tries to turn Ennis into Matt Ballon, so it's just, it's he doesn't want his dummy half doing too much. He just wants it whipping off the deck, making a lot of tackles, and that's all mm. you need. And then he and he sort of not loses his way, but he's not as effective as a player because they're not using the full breadth of his skills. But then he goes to Cronulla and Shane Flanagan's like, yeah, man, wheel and deal all you want. And then he has those last two or three seasons where he plays terrific football. He's great. And he's really totally, great. totally rediscovers his best form, you know, and, and yeah, a, a very interesting career all told me because he gets hooker of the year this year mm. has a great season. I, I do laugh. I used to argue with my dog sporting mates about who was better about uh, between Ennis and Isaac Luke. And then sure enough, the grand final between the two, neither of them play. <laughs> it's Moses Senbai against Api Corusau. Fantastic. But, uh, Man, the South Sydney hooker factory was crazy. Oh, mate, wasn't it? Shout out Nathan Pete. Shout out Bo Falloon. Shout out, shout out Billy Britton. Shout out, shout out all of them. All of them, all equally great. So they're gearing up for the finals, a couple of weeks to go. The minor premiership is still in their grasp as we enter September, Nicholas. Yeah. So round 25, they play the Warriors at ANZ and it's Hazem's last home game because he's retiring at the end of the 41, season. 41,000 against the Warriors is a great crowd. So I looked it up. This was the biggest crowd for a regular season game in Sydney in 35 years. Wow. 
Yeah. So like the double headers obviously got a lot more, but aside from that, it's the it's the biggest crowd since 1974. How crazy is that? That's that's fucked. <laughs> Absolutely insane, and it's a great day for the club. Like Josh Morris, who we haven't probably mentioned as much as we as much as we should. He scores some absolutely scintillating tries. Um, you know, has him kicks a bunch of goals. It's a wonderful sort of celebration of maybe one of the most beloved players or one of the most like universally respected players probably of our time. When I, when I think of the way people loved Hazem El-Masri, I think about how Jared Croker like gets a lot of love, even from non Raiders fans. You know what I mean? I think it's sort of in that mm. similar category. Yeah. Um, but a great, great day for the club. And then round 26, this is such a strange one, right? It's so, so weird. I assumed they'd like rested all their dudes. And then, I, and then I read it and then I clicked on it. And I was like, oh, no, they were still playing for no, the everyone played. Everyone played. So here's the state of play. If Canterbury had Can- Canterbury are playing the Tigers on the Friday night, at the same time, the Eels are playing the Dragons, right? And I'm pretty sure the state of play was if the Dragons lost and the Dogs win, the Dogs get the minor premiership. If the Dragons win, they get it outright. The NRL wanted to present the JJ Gilton and Shield to the winning team. So they had it in a, they had it in a car at halfway between the two grounds, halfway between SFS, the SFS and Cogra Oval. And the second one of the games looked like they were going to be decided. They were going to get on the bike and, and, and take it out there. Hmm. So the Bulldogs end up getting smashed by the Tigers. Benji Marshall just totally carves into pieces. The Dragons end up smashing Parramatta. But I just love the idea of, I assume it's David Gallup himself behind the wheel, just tooling around Sydney suburbs thinking, all right, is it done? Can I, can I finally, can I finally commit to it? Can I take the shield to where it's got to go? You know? Yeah. It it, kind of reminds me, do, do you know what Helicopter Sunday is? No. Okay. So in 2005, Rangers and Celtic, uh, well, I think one point apart, or they were they were level on they were level on points, but Celtic had the better. Either way, Celtic was like if they both win, Celtic win the title. And of course, in all European soccer leagues, the say the final day of the season, all the games kick off at the same time, right? So Celtic are winning against Motherwell, um, and they oh, is, it, this, is this the Scotty McDonald game? And Scott McDonald scores yeah. two two late goals for Motherwell to flip a win to a loss, and they ended up flying the trophy in a helicopter from where Celtic were playing to where Rangers were playing. That's a bit more. It's a bit more glamorous than Ranger, fi- Rangers, fighting, fighting Sydney. I think you might be the first person to, to ever call the, the Scottish. Gilton you might be the first person to ever call the Scottish Premiership glamorous, but I agree. But yeah, it's so a helicopter. helicopter, bro. That's that's yeah. heaps glamorous. So they Celtic up one nil. They lose two one thanks to Scotty McDonald and the helicopter. Future uh, Celtic legend. Yeah, exactly right. And then um, the helicopter takes the trophy over to where Rangers are playing. Why did Scotty McDonald never score for Australia? Why did it never work? It's so weird, right? Very yeah. strange. A lot of caps too. Oh well, hard to say. But... <laughs> The dogs, like they, they, they clean up at the Dalliums. Like mm. Ennis gets hooker of the year. Hannick gets prop of the year. Kevin Moore, a good rugby league man, gets coach of the year. Mm. Jamal Idris gets um, rookie of the year. Let's talk about, let's talk about Jammer a little bit. I hated that he got rookie of the year because he got ahead of Josh Dugan and Jared Croker. But I love Jammer. I love Jammer. I used to play poker with his javelin. Javelin. What did I say it like? Javelin. That? I used to, I used to <laughs> play poker with his javelin coach. Well, yeah, like that's, I remember when he came into first grade and there's all that talk about how he could have gone to the Olympics for javelin or yeah. shot put or something like that. And he was like a, a physical specimen. I was polite. But, I never asked him, like, what does a javelin coach do? Oh, Jamal, chuck it as far chuck as you it. can. Throw it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you do? I don't fucking know. But Obviously, yeah, he, we're was, being facetious, but... he was, he was, you look back, you forget how young he was when mm. all this happened. So he's only, I think he's only 19 
through this whole season. But the second he came into first grade, he was not just a star, but like a real personality player as well. He was on the, on the, on the footy show a lot and really, really had the, had the spotlight on him. And it probably, it probably all was a little bit too much too soon, Mm. but in these early years, he was just like a, a force of nature. People wanted him in the origin team, like already, like there was clamoring for him to be playing origin in 09. Like people Mm. wanted him for, and, and you know what? He was so big and so powerful and just like so exciting to watch that, it was hard to argue with at the time, and it's just kind of sad how it all played out. And he plays the one Origin game, scores a try, and then his career never really hits the heights that and we all play, thought it was going. One to. Origin scores a try, one Test scores a try, hmm. but it, it you're right. It once he goes, once he leaves Canterbury for the Titans, I think that's in 2012. Yeah, things just he never quite, never quite gets it back. Is it you know, is it? Is it bad karma for turning his back on the mustard and blues to instead don the country Origin jersey? Well, he's Perhaps. from, hang on, he's from Foster. Yeah, but he's, he's born in Auburn. Yes, but so. he's from Foster. <laughs> I'm just asking questions. I'm just asking questions. <laughs> anytime I can say for the city mustard. Origin. Look, you know at this point that anytime I can say the mustard and blue, I why will. And also, to, why didn't you refer he, to Matt he also, as a mustard and blue? But he also, he, dude, I know, he, I, know he, I know he's from up north, but like he moved to Bankstown when he was a kid. He played for like Barilla Bears and shit, like. So I guess the, you could... look, this, the city country eligibility laws are not as, <laughs> not as tight as they could be. <laughs> no, definitely not. But, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's kind of funny because this was a guy that when he came onto the scene, everyone was like, well, this dude's going to be the best center in the world. I remember it's a game. I think it's from 2010. So skipping ahead a little bit, but Tamana Tahu had, had come back and was, and was playing for para again. And he was probably not quite the athletic force that he was, but everyone still counted him as like just an absolute wrecking machine. And to understand the caliber of athlete Tamanatahu who was like, I can't really tell you, you have to go back and watch it. He used but to he dunk was the ball on the crossbar after scoring tries. So cool. So shit. cool. Like, but just an explosive footballer in every sense of the word. You know what I mean? He like, ruled, man. like he so ruled. fast, so powerful. And... You don't need Tamanas anymore. Mate, you, you don't, you don't, you would, mate, well, we, we should be due for the first generation of them. You'd think you know, so. You'd, you'd think, think so. you'd think you'd think that you know, like because we're only we're only five the, years away. The, well, nine months after the two thousand and one grand yeah. final, you would have well, thought there'd be a because it's like, dude, we're, we're we're five years away from like every junior prospect being called like Kobe, and then we're five years beyond that from every junior prospect being called like LeBron. So like, I'm That's shocked tough, that there's man. no, I'm shocked that there's no like Tamanas because yeah, he was such you, a what are you what are you doing? He was such you an exciting player, and it's such a cool name. I know. Anyway, that's maybe that's it. Like you've got to be cool to be named Tamana. You know, imagine if you if you're not cool enough and you just go by Tim. What's that? It's, a, it's for, like this is short for Timothy. And you go, no, it's Tamana. You yeah, you got to. It's like it's like you, you, they sit him down. And they're like, mate, your name's Tamana, but if you don't make if you don't make Harold Matz, you're Tim. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Tamana Tahu used to like detonate on plays. Used to like mm. explode, you know, with his big shoulder charge and all that sort of thing. And in 2010, the Bulldogs play the Eels. And he tries to do all the Tamanatahu stuff to Jamal Idris, and he just can't do it. He just can't do it. Like he's racing in, hitting him as hard as he can. He's bouncing off Idris, just is laughing at him. But I think there's a great little clip. There's a great little compilation video of it on YouTube. By the end of the game, Idris is Idris is like feeding him, tooling him. Mm. Like he goes to he go at one point he goes to high five him to like middle of, like middle of the game after he's made a tackle. He goes to high five him. Tamana beaten goes up to slap him, and Idris pulls it away. It's incredible shit. And it was just like, bro, just an, just raw, unfettered athleticism in in every aspect. Here's, um, 
His Wikipedia is a wild ride, by the way. You got yeah, Wendell, you yeah. got Wendell Saylor saying that he was better than Israel Folau at the same age. You've got a story from late 2010 where his cousin hit him with a samurai sword in the neck, um, and you've got him wearing South shorts in his picture for some reason, which doesn't make I think, any sense. I think at all. that's from the the Dreamtime team that he played on okay. in 2008. But yeah, he had some, had some troubles off the field. I think it's earlier this season he gets dropped for a week because him, Ben Barber, and Lee Tamari have a fight. Have a like, fight in the car park. Yeah, yeah. So opened off, an orphanage off, in Ghana. Yeah, yeah. Did some Incredible. did some great things in his time away from footy, and I think now he's just sort of living up somewhere around Coffs Harbour Way, living the quiet life. And I think that's I think it's ended up being a pretty good ending to a story that looked like it was going off the rails a little bit. But back in 09, man, man, 09 Idris, hood legend Jamal Idris. Yeah, and this is like, man, like, again, like, I know I've harped on him a million times. Imagine being able to, if you're a dogs fan, going, being able to buy an old Bulldogs jersey from this time with like Idris 4 on the back or something. But like, fuck, it'd be so sick. Oh, you and your black fucking jersey name, propaganda, Mate, just sneaking be, in at every opportunity. The so only, sick. the only, the only name on the jersey I would accept is you, you got a city jersey with Bungard on the back. That's fair. That would be sick. Wait, I can't have Luke Stewart. <laughs> I thought you'd want Bungard. Oh, I am a city boy. City born boy. And raised in South Detroit. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, Oh, that'd be sick. But yeah, Idris, he was something special, man. He he was something else. Um, and it's a shame that never really, really kicks on to him. Why why do you think that like obviously the injuries were a part of it, but like was it was it that like was it did he not refine his game enough beyond pure physicality? Or what I, do you think it was? I look, I think the the what happened to Idris is what happens to a couple some guys who are really physically gifted. When he sort of reached an age where he couldn't just get by on his natural stuff where he had to start looking after his body a little bit more. Um, I, I don't know if he totally put the, put the time in for it. I think going up to the Titans and taking the money up there was a bad decision. Um, where careers think, go to die a little, a little, a little, a little bit. Yeah. I think mm. it was important for him to have coaches who not kept him on a short leash, but who pushed him pretty hard and knew how to challenge him, but without sort of alienating him. You know mm. what I mean? You, you know how they talk about centers in the NBA? Like some talk, like they can be a bit hard to manage because, you know, they're, you know, got a lot of feelings and they're the big fella and all that sort of stuff. I kind of feel he's like that. He needed, it's such a cliche, but I think he needed someone like a Bennett, like a Wayne Bennett. Like he needed mm. someone who was really going to be able to get through to him. And I think Ivan Cleary was that for a little while for him at Penrith. Um, but I also think at the end, I think Jamal Idris just didn't like footy that much. Which you is know? totally I, I don't yeah, like I think I think he liked it. I don't think he loved playing it. And I think he just sort of got to that place where he had to love it to keep playing. And it's fine if you if you don't want to if you don't want to do that. You know what I mean? Like it's not for everyone. There was a, a story um just that just broke yesterday, a young fella at Canberra named Brad Morcos, who's sort of been on the verge of first grade for about a season now, walked into camp, walked into the coach's office on Monday and he said, I can't keep doing this. I just don't I don't want it like I need to want it. Mm. you know and that's 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 just how it is for for some guys you know so Idris I think he loved I think he loved playing footy I think he loved sort of being a star I think he loved you know being everyone's mate and all that sort of stuff because he was always like a big bubbly guy oh well. yeah but I just don't know if 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 he sort of had that 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 fire inside him you know mm. so still still a good career but it's hard to think. It's hard not to think what might have been. Yeah. So they get the they they, they lose that game against Tigers and in the process lose the minor premiership. They play the Dogs in your favorite the final Knights. system. Sorry, they're the Dogs. They play the Knights. 
in the first week of the finals, 2v7. David Stagg starting at 5 8. There's no yeah, Brett Camorley. Brett Camorley, Brett Camorley uh, fractured his cheekbone in the game mm-hmm. against the Warriors. And I remember because it was super gnarly, um, like some blood got in his eye. So his entire eye is like like crimson red. He looked like he'd been possessed by a poltergeist. It was so cool. cool. Uh, yeah, I don't remember anything about this game, but they win easily. I was at this game. Oh, talk to me. Yeah, I took, I took, I took, I took Pup to this game. Um, oh, how old was Pup at this point? Pup would have been eleven. Was he shrilly abusing Scott Juro and Jim no? South? He was. Um, he was a much nicer boy then. Oh. <laughs> he, he had. He had not quite. Um, Oi, gotten nice. it. <laughs> He hadn't quite got in touch with his inner Josh Reynolds like he has now. <laughs> um, no, back no. So I remember giving the Knights a pretty big chance in this one because the dogs had Ben Roberts and David Stagg in the halves, but Canterbury just get it done in really business-like fashion. And, and Stagg is really good. I fucking loved David Stagg. Yeah, he, he was a cracking player, a real a really good player, and a, a more versatile player than people remember. They had Daniel Holdsworth on the played, bench. Played but... over the course of his career, played center, wing, five eight, back row, and I'm pretty sure he started a hooker once or twice as yeah. well. Just an absolute beauty. I love David Stagg so much that when I was in the tele, I was when I was at the Telegraph, and me and Tim Williams had the short lived League Central podcast, RIP, hmm. and we we're recording it in the studio that we we christened it the David Stagg Studio. That's cool. That's how much we love that guy. And um, you had um, on the coaching front a battle of good rugby league men in this one. Rick Stone against Kevin Moore. Wasn't this Rick Stone's like third game as well? well? Yeah, it was. He so just taken over because right Brian end. Smith had abruptly left after Parramatta smashed the Knights when the Knights were sitting in ninth. Brian Brian Smith had signed to coach the Roosters in 2010. Yeah, and the Knights just kicked him out the door, and they looked around and they said, "We need a good rugby league man." Rick, and Rick you... Stone answered the call. Rick looked Great. up from his $1 pie from um that bakery that Harry's talked to me about a million times, whose name I forget. And he said, I'm in. They dragged Bust him. It. He, was, he was tucking into a large feed from Henny Penny. Yep. And they said, Rick, we need you. And he was like, yep. let's go, boys. Let's and they, up. they win. They're sitting ninth. So they need to win, I think, two or three of their last four to make the make the Darby's Pies, $1. There you go. <laughs> oh, 2018 article, end of an era as Darby's Pies shuts up shop. RIP. RIP. But yeah, yeah, the, the, the Knights need to win, I think, two or three of the last four to to make the finals. And good rugby league man, Rick Stone, delivers. I remember, that, I remember they have a game against the Panthers and, and they, they beat them like 35 the nil yeah. because Mad Dog McDougal mm. boxes the ears off Mick Jennings. What a player. There's just like the the old the old cunning bastard rips the rips the young fella to pieces. It was so sick. Adam McDougal aggressively balled by this point. Mm. Like not a hair upon his head. And if the, if the Knights if the Knights don't win this game, it's sorry. If, if the Knights don't win that game against Penrith, it, it has a seismic effect because it means that Parramatta finished seventh, not eighth. So we never get that Dragons Parramatta game at Cogra, and it means the Tigers make the finals. So like everything would have changed if the Knights hadn't got Rick Stone in to see them to the finish line. But that's a, he, that's what a good, came that's what, that's what a good rugby league man can do for you. But he came in. And uh, they they got a couple of good results there, including that parents game. But um, yeah, dogs too good in this one. Yep. And then they go through to week three, and we get we get the big one. Yeah. So obviously, as I said at the start of the show, didn't get to watch this one live properly, but um, rewatched it the next day. And there's not a lot of games where, especially like, because I am still half watching it while I'm supposed to be doing my other job. But like, there's not a lot of games, especially games that Souths aren't playing in, where I go, I wish I was there. Mm. But I'm watching this game, going, fuck. I wish I was there. If so, you want to remember, 75,000 to a prelim. Unheard of. Unheard abso- of. 
absolutely insane. They they were so the two prelim finals were Brisbane versus Melbourne and Para versus the Bulldogs. And all week I remember they were saying this is Sydney's grand final. Like this is almost like conference style. We've got yeah. the Sydney conference and the uh, and the rest. And here we go, baby. You get the two traditional rivals. You get Parramatta on the run of a lifetime. You get Canterbury rising from the ashes. If Canterbury had won this game, they would have become, I think, the first team to go from the wooden spoon to the grand final in in in, in twelve months. You know, and so the the stakes could not possibly be any higher. You know, and when you go back and and you watch the replay of this game, it's not so much the 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 volume of the crowd; it's more like the vibrancy. I don't know if it's just because it's the yellow and it really pops on the screen. But even for a stadium that's full, it it feels bigger and more colorful and more vibrant than it usually does. This was a game where I remember waking up the day of the game, the the, the Friday, it was during the school holidays. And I remember being nervous all day. Mm. And I was like, I don't give a shit who wins. I'm just pumped up. You get a premiership ring if the Bulldogs win this, surely. <laughs> like the, the, Shadowy backroom figure, yeah. Nick Campton. Like you, you oh. were the guy that noticed a, a, a pattern in Parramatta's backline, and you, you, <laughs> you raised it with good rugby league man Kevin Moore. And being a good rugby league man, he took you on face value, and he listened to you, and he said, "This boy is a genius." <laughs> but then Luke Patton gets hurt. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I remember, I remember early in the game, it's like it's after like ninety seconds or something. It's really, really right at the start, and it kind of throws him off a little bit because. The, the the one position that they couldn't have replaced was someone in the back three. You know, their bench mm-hmm. utility is Yaleen Buddy Gordon, who like can play in the centers maybe if he has to. But then you're pushing Jamal Idris out on the wing, and all of a sudden there's this big juicy spot that Paramatic can sort of go after. But Canterbury start really well. Not long after Patton gets injured, they score first. Bryson Goodwin, who we haven't mentioned this year, but had or haven't mentioned in this show, but had a great season, 20 tries in 24 games, a long-time favorite of yours. He scores off a off a Hazard Melmasri kick. And then not long after that, Josh Morris gets over from one of those curling Ben Roberts grubbers. And Canterbury's kind of, kind of flying a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I, it's a game that kind of hangs on a knife's edge until like, Okay, until towards the end, really. But it, it, it's it, it was kind of felt like they were on a bit of a hiding to nothing as soon as 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 soon as Patton went down because they had they had as you said Buddy Gordon coming in and help, trying to defend in the back line and this was not the young dynamic Buddy Gordon anymore. This no, was a, this was no. bench forward Buddy Gordon, and he's not here Very to play. So. He's not here to play center anymore. Well, they're still they're still up at halftime, and Patton yeah. comes back on not long after halftime. That's like you see that now, and you're like, "Wow, I can't believe that!" Because mm. he was co- as concussed <laughs> as a person can be. We and can they, laugh about it now. And they sent like, the gen- they sent the general back out there. Yeah, look, well, the general's got to go down with it. Well, not ship because that's an ad. Can, it, can a boat have a general? No, it can have an admiral. The general's got to go down with his fleet of tanks. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I remember there's a couple of like really vivid memories of this game for me. I remember Ben Hannant, who had a great, great season. And we mentioned a little bit earlier, he sort of got shown up a little bit by Moimoy the last time they met Parramatta. I remember him like hitting Moimoy with like a classic old school shoulder charge. Yeah. Absolutely decking him. And then like sort of like screaming, screaming, roaring up like a polar bear. Mm. Awesome stuff. I remember um, as the game sort of went on, 
Brett Kamali, who came back early from injury, had a bit of a shocker, like looked a little bit, looked like a guy who debuted 14 years, 14 years prior, you know? And I remember just as the game sort of really got to the pointy end, Parramatta were just too fast, too explosive. Like the look at go, go back and look at the highlights, man, and, mm. and you see that they're they're all their late tries come through offloads and up the, tempo. The, footy. the Tim Manawan kind of reminds me of like the Landy Ball era. Because it's a just like bit, they're yeah. almost lining up to score because there's just, the dogs are just so gassed. It's ju- it's just too much. And a lot of it's on the back of 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 Jared Hayne, who was just absolutely and incredible Fui. in this whole run. Fuck but me, in this Fui, Fui. but then Fui is just next level. Like as as explosive as a as a front rower as you're ever going to see in your entire life. And I think therein lies why this dogs team didn't quite get it done. I think they have a lot of really good players. I don't think they have a single great player. And I'm going to ask you something again that we talked about mm-hmm. earlier. Who's the best player on this team? Like a career or that season? That like just generally. Well, Brett Kamali had the best career, I think. Yeah. But there's guys like, and it's an aging Andrew Ryan's probably in the conversation as well. But yeah. um, like they, they don't like you, you mentioned the Dallium's like they have guys finished, I think ninth and 10th on the leaderboard. No mm. one on this team. It's a really good team. Yep. But it's not a, it doesn't have that superstar. And maybe they, thought and hoped Jamali just could be that guy for them in future years. And it just never panned out that yeah. way. But yeah, you're right. Like the best players in this team are like veteran forward, Andrew Ryan, veteran halfback, Brett Kamali, grizzled hooker, Michael Ennis. They don't have that shining star, that explosive talent in the way that Parramatta had Jared Hayne and to a lesser extent, Fui Fui Moimo. In fact, even Eric Groth would be more explosive than anyone that the Bulldogs yeah. had. They didn't have that. Well, the, the, the two guys they did have that were explosive were Idris and Josh Morris. And this is Josh Morris before he was defensive stalwart or wily old dog Josh Morris. This is Josh Morris when he could he could fly. But that, he had a he had a fabulous season. 22 tries in 21 games and just absolutely scorching blokes with his with his speed and, and, and with his explosiveness. If you were doing montages of like the best tries ever in finals games, the Daniel Mortimer one has to be like right up there, right? It's, yeah, it's amazing. Ridiculous. Like it's it's just rugby league at its best. Like it's it starts with Fui. Goes through like six sets of hands. The cool head of Luke Burt in transition to to weigh up his options, and then they're away, and that's they're away to a grand final. Yeah, and I, I remember it full time, and it like there's a there's a great shot of Hindmarsh standing there with the the flags all waving behind him. Ben Smith is there's a great shot of him almost crying or whatever. But I do think even if Canterbury had won this game, I think they get dusted in the grand final by Melbourne pretty handily. Like, yeah, for similar reasons that we just talked about, I don't think they had anyone who was outside the box enough to trouble the storm. This Canterbury team very, very classically constructed in, 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 in the way they play and, and in the roster. And that can take you a long way, but I don't think it can take you all the way. And then that sort of gets proven a little bit, I think by what happens to Canterbury next, because this team is very much almost a one-off by the time they're in contention again in 2012, the team's almost completely different in its in its in its construction you know well they they 2010 is a disaster they, they're back to what they were in 08 that they start the season losing four games out of five and they they end up finishing what fourth last because the storm gets through to all the points but third last really well it's, it's a disaster hmm. of a campaign they did long absolutely falls apart there's only two times in the season where they win consecutive games that's crazy hmm. it's, it's really really bad and it just never got back to what they were in 09 but it was it was you know I say this all the time. You don't have to win a premiership to be able to look back on a season fondly, particularly when it comes in a period where like the years either side of it are pretty tough to watch. 
Yeah, but that's kind of why this team appeals to me, man. Mm. Like, as constructed, they only sort of did it once. Kevin Moore only coaches the... I think he only coaches two and a half years. He gets sacked midway through 2011, and then Des comes in at the end of that season, you know? And all these all, all these guys on the team, there's guys like Bryson Goodwin and Yaleen Gordon and Ben Roberts, and it all comes together for this year, and then it never really... Never yeah. really does again. It's very much. It's very much a one-off. You know, we mm. think it. We we don't think of it that way because Canterbury's a team that will until the last sort of six or seven years had always been pretty successful, but this was very much just a confluence of a bunch of guys at this one time, and mm. it all comes together until it doesn't. You know, we talk about our formative years, and it was just like it took me years to adjust to the Bulldogs not being good anymore, just because when I was growing up, they were just always a good team. Mm. And well, this just... is now, now the run that they're on, this is the longest run outside the finals they've had since the 1960s. That's crazy. Mm. Will they make it next year? I don't think so. But, uh, well, so. if only they had some more good rugby league men. Mm. If only they ring up your, uh, a Chris Armit or a Brad Morin yeah, or like a that. Gary Warburton or a Tim <sighs> Winatana or a John Kite. And they say, mate, what's doing? Get down here. Show I'm these like boys that. how to win. I'm like, I'm like that lady on Gentle Ben. Let's have less utility players and more good rugby league men. <laughs> That's something we can all agree on. Who's your unsung hero? Um, I don't I'll know. I feel like we've we, we've sung most of the. We have most you can of pick, the. You can pick heroes, someone we've already talked say. about. Yeah, you know what? I think I'm gonna go. You know what? Let's go, Bryson Goodwin, because we just like haven't it. had a. We haven't talked about him much yet. You're a big Bryson Goodwin guy. Yeah, I mean, he was there for the 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 two runs towards a grand final until twenty fourteen, where he wasn't in the in the team anymore. But um, still at the club, mind you. But he but he wasn't at. So he so he came across after the twenty twelve season, played basically every game, center or wing for South. There was chat going into that twenty thirteen prelim that he was injured, but he played through it and he got into. They ended up targeting him pretty badly in that game against Manly, if you remember. They go through him for a lot of their points, and I felt really bad for him. He starts the year in the centers for Souths in round one has a couple of tough games in that people forget Souths won the combat 2014, but they lost three of their first four games. They went, they, they lost to Canberra, lost to the Tigers and they lost to Manly. They had some really tough losses early in that season. And he ended up getting shunted to the wing to accommodate Dylan Walker and Kiwisami Avaa. And then he's out of the team entirely when they decide on going with the combination of Alex Johnston and old man River Lottie Takiri. And it's a shame for him. But, you know, I've always been of the opinion that if you're at the club, and especially if you played games, you are a premiership winner. And this and Bryson played like 12 or 13 games in 2014. So to me, he's a premiership winner. That left side that Canterbury had this year, Bryson Goodwin, Josh Morris, Ben Roberts, and then I think the second row changed a fair bit. But they combined for 58 tries. It's a lot. It's a lot of tries. It's a lot of tries. It's 41 tries between, between Goodwin and Morris. Like, not a bad return. I love that Goodwin had a three-year sojourn and then came back for like five games with Cronulla. It's great stuff. Well, I think his last game was the Baby Raiders game. It was. Sure was. And I have a feeling that he might have been the last player from the 09 Dogs in the NRL. Well, well no, Gordon didn't play NRL, did he? No, so he must No, be, he, yeah. has, he has not played NRL for many years now. No, well, he's still playing rugby league, though. So, I don't know. You're probably you right. Know what? I'm going I'm I'm to say it was. If the, if the 09 dogs had to die so the baby Raiders could live, I'm comfortable making that trade-off. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right. I think you've nailed that. But yeah, shout out Jarrett Sublu, I guess. I don't know. What's he doing? <laughs> uh, mate, he's an NRL grid mainstay. Mate, isn't he just? Isn't he just? <laughs> the boys are frothing to use Adam Cook and Jarrett Sublu every day. Hooting and, God, and, God hooting, and hooting and hollering because I can sneak Darby Medlin into Fuck NRL. Yeah. Darby Medlin's a great name. 
Oh, all right, I'm going to read out some great names to you now. And that's the names of our Patreons in the top two tiers. And if you'd like to be a Patreon and support us, go to patreon.com forward slash rookies. You get an extra show every week, access to our Discord server, merch discounts, entry to next year's Culture Cup, and plenty more. And without patrons, we wouldn't be doing these off-season podcasts. Nick, I can tell you that much. That's true. So thank you to Chris Abdel, Dave, Rocky and Rappi, Stu, Wayne of the Old Coot, Alex Sergicomi, Bertrand's eyes are not red and green. They are the pink of a rabbit in a spotlight. Broncos legend, Adam Reynolds, Bruce the Pond, Butsy, Chewbacca, Snuffleupagus, Dan Conan, Doc Hogg, and anonymous backer, Ed Burton. Hi, I'm Mitt Bertrand, and I have redacted. How to speak San Franciscan. I also went to school with Bungard. I was saying boo I'm called Little Buttercup or Little Buttercup, though I could never tell why. I, Matt Bungard, could not be happy if it tells and Travis Kelsey. I've got a blank space in my fantasy team, and I'll write your name. Jason, Joel Wrigley, John, Josh Brandon, kicks ass out of the cop, Lachlan Hancock, lifelong Dolphins fan, Luke Charles Midmore, Mads Taylor's version, Matthew Duggan, Michael, the climax to a supreme game of rugby league, El Masri, trailing by wonder, win it. He's got it away. It has got there, Murray. What about Masri chat today? Morgan Watkins. My name is Nick Canton. Rugby Union is my favorite type of rugby. My ding ding dong is hard and I'm sad. Never trendy. Origin Monster to Club Monster. Form line Royal Commission. Reese Brown. Rodrigo. La Flama Blanca. Eduardo. Roxanne Clark. Sue in Vegas. Shunter tie. The Black Vegetable. The Offseason Blues. The Atrium Music is a vibe in 1.75 times speed. These white slippers are a binary African endangered runner. Thor. Tom Hardy was. We're now offering shout to everyone in the lower tiers. Everyone listens. All listeners, please send five of your Australian dollars to at the Matt Bungard on Twitter.com. Westlife Podcasts and the Pasco Fiasco. And you'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. Thank you so much for your support. Everyone who listens, thank you as well. We did it. We made oh, it. Yeah. We got uh, yeah. some exciting a, things coming up in the yeah, next couple bit of a, This one was a bit of a different genre to the O3 Bunnies. That was more sort of off field uh, insanity. This was more interesting on field stuff. Yep. You know, yeah. like to like to keep you guessing, keep and, you on your toes. You know, Joel Wrigley again, bang a suggestion. So if you've got one, reach out. We could do it in a couple of weeks' time. I'm going overseas uh, tomorrow, but uh, we'll have um, we've got some stuff already recorded that we'll be releasing while I'm away. So don't stress, and we'll have some stuff for you when I get back. So, Happy days, baby. Keep an eye on that, everyone. All right, say goodbye, camper. Goodbye, Bertrand. That's goodbye from me.